Good morning, Emmanuel. How about that banjo? That was something. Uh, yeah, that, those songs, I'm already crying. This might not, not bode well for the rest of today, but I'm going to jump right in here with a question. I have a question for you all this morning, and it's this. Can you imagine what it is like to work before sin entered this world. And when I say work, I mean labor, exerting energy, effort towards anything. I'm not just talking to those of you who go to a place of work from Monday through Friday. I'm talking to the young kids in this room who may have been asked to take out the trash for the first time, and that is work. I'm talking to those of you who may have just started your first paid job, mowing a neighbor's yard, babysitting. I'm talking to those of you whose work is to study hard for a test, write a massive graduate level paper, fold a load of laundry. I'm talking to those of you who are the sole provider for a family of two or 10. Those of you who this week will dust that same shelf for the hundredth time. I'm talking to those of you who volunteer in the nursery, care for the unborn, sell insurance, fill in the blank with whatever it is that you work at. And if any of you have applied your limited time and energy to a task in this life, you've probably already learned some lessons about work in this planet. Lessons like work is hard, coworkers can be mean, petty, irritable. You can be mean, petty, irritable. Humans can be lazy, and complain a lot. We get tired, bored, easily distracted, and dissatisfied. In other words, our work has been cursed. But can you imagine what it would be like to complete any of these tasks prior to sin entering the world? In other words, everything you, your family, your coworkers pursue would align perfectly with how God designed the universe. Man was designed to work righteously in this universe, in the right way, on the right tasks. And as you may know from reading your Bibles, three chapters in, to be precise, this perfect state of work did not last long. But while it did, it was very good. And I've been asked to preach on what the book of Proverbs says about work, which means we get to look at the directions and the wisdom collected by Solomon to try to get us once again working in the right direction, the way God intended. As Pastor Ryan said during the introduction to this series, Proverbs is not primarily the story of forgiveness of sins, but it generally highlights the wisdom needed to avoid sin. Proverbs reminds us how life should go, the established direction of the streets traveling through God's universe. Streets that when we follow lead to flourishing, lead to life. It outlines the general rules, not all of the exceptions. If Proverbs was a spelling book, it would not be the spelling book you grew up with. Highlighting all those exceptions. I before E, that's the rule, right? Except after C, except when it sounds like a, as a neighbor or way. In Proverbs, the way we work or don't work produces specific results. 
There is a clear cause and effect, a sowing and a reaping. Work and how we work matters to God. A God follower works a certain way, diligently. Diligence, hard work, produces good results. Lazy workers, which the Proverbs compares to sluggards and sloths, also produce results, bad results, consequences. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. In other words, the lazy are restless and dissatisfied, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The diligent have something to show for their work. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Laziness makes work harder. Anyone ever find out the hard way that procrastinating makes their task and life much harder? Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule. Faithful hard workers generally get promoted, trusted with leadership. Proverbs 10, 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Although there can be exceptions, generally laziness results in being poor and hard work results in not being poor. Or how about Proverbs 12, 27, which emphasizes the same theme in a very colorful way. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. In other words, too lazy to prepare the food he's caught. The lazy miss their opportunities. But the diligent man will get precious wealth. Solomon must have thought that laziness was a problem because he spends a lot of time addressing it. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil, working hard, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Lazy people see that talking is where the work is at. Most bosses disagree. Lazy people also tend to make ridiculous excuses to defend their own laziness. Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. And this is just an excuse to do what they would rather do, what seems easier. Like Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. In other words, just hit that snooze a few more times. Work, it can wait. Convicted and want to overcome laziness? Well, Proverbs has you covered. Proverbs 6, 6 says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. If you think it's bad being called a sluggard or a sloth, Solomon says that, no, you really need to get low so that you can look up to those hardworking ants for inspiration. If you are lazy, repent today. Repent to God. Repent to those who your laziness hurts. If you're a diligent hard worker, thank God. Thank your family Thank your teachers who have taught you and influenced you. All right, now that I've surveyed some of the, the general teaching of Proverbs on work, work hard and you will prosper, embrace laziness and you will not prosper, we're going to spend the remainder of our time today focusing on one verse, a verse that speaks to the character of our work. Proverbs does not just care about the way that God followers works. No, Proverbs is also very concerned about the character of our work. Proverbs does not just care that we work hard, that we're diligent and not lazy. It's concerned with the character of our work. We will look to other verses today to fill out our main passage, 
But this is our primary text right here on the screen. Look with me carefully at Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. All right, please join me in praying that these words would define our lives, the character of our work. Heavenly Father, would you please teach us the right priorities to guide all of our work, your priorities. I thank you for giving us your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Please help us to give the world a vision for right work. Please help us to make this verse a light to all of our work, a north star to guide us through whatever challenging tasks we face in this life. Please help us to devote ourselves to you as we perform all of our work unto and in front of the King of the universe. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Okay, I have four main points today. Four points to help us see how this verse should define the character of our work. Number one, Proverbs 21:21 explored. Number two, Proverbs 21:21 displayed. Number three, Proverbs 21:21 perfected. And number four, Proverbs 21:21 applied. So explored, displayed, perfected and applied. Let's start with Proverbs 21, 21 explored. Now this is such a small text, so we're gonna look at each of the main words. Whoever is easy. It means all of you in this room. Pursues. Now here's a word that you hunters in the crowd understand. It's the idea of stalking prey. Everyone who's ever played a game of tag gets this word. It's the chase. It's used in the Old Testament for military commanders chasing their enemies. It implies relentless pursuit. We might say, go hard after. And now we come to a unique pair of words. It's the twin objects of this relentless pursuit, righteousness and kindness. Righteousness. When thinking about righteousness in this verse, we have to remember first that God created this universe. He established the rules for us image bearers to follow. He gets to determine what is right, what allows humans to thrive in his universe. God is right. So righteousness is anything that aligns with our right God. Jesus perfectly aligns with God. Therefore, he is perfectly righteous. Adam and Eve were the first humans to think that they could do better. And humans have been trying to outdo them ever since, pursuing unrighteousness. When I first moved to Louisville, especially when I traveled to the old Emanuel building, I may have made a couple bad decisions involving one-way streets. Now, in those moments, I could have persisted in thinking I knew better than the city planners. But this thinking produces consequences. And in the pursuit that Solomon is urging, the consequences are much higher. He is calling people to act in a way that aligns with the creator's intent for this universe, to pursue that which is right, true, and good, what God calls right, true, and good. Chasing righteousness is not just about right acting, but also about right thinking 
And this is why Solomon spends so much time trying to shape our wisdom. God has laid down good one-way streets in his universe, and traveling according to the maker's intent is good. It leads to flourishing. When we insist that we know better, that road leads to hell. Pursue righteousness, pursue God's ways. Kindness. Solomon also says, go hard after kindness. This word can be translated steadfast love, loyalty, faithful love, mercy. It's the idea of helping those from your community who are in need. When you think about the areas of life where you work, where you labor, is this the word that typically pops into your head? Do you prioritize people over accomplishing tasks? Or do you prioritize profits over people? Do you work so that you can get money to buy you things? Or do you work so that you can get money in order to bless others? Would your work look differently if you intensely pursued kindness? Mine would. It was this word that captured my attention when I was reading through Proverbs, looking for what it says about work. I was convicted by it. A quick search of this word in Scripture reveals how much it matters to God. Job 6.14 says, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Pursue kindness. Pursue being a blessing to your neighbor. Now we move into the results of this pursuit. What you will find. A happy, seemingly accidental discovery of unimaginable results. These are the words of the one, or these are the rewards of the one who pursues righteousness and kindness. They will find life. The word life can be used just to describe existence, the opposite of death. Sometimes Proverbs uses it this way. But more often, like in this verse, it is talking about abundant life, a life lived in conformity with God's standards and therefore full of his abundant blessings. A life defined by the creator's intent for the universe and therefore under his blessings. A life that is given meaning because it is lived in actual relationship with the giver of all life. A life that will not end in physical death for those who have a relationship with the giver of life. It aligns with John saying that Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then we come to righteousness again. Multiple scholars agree that this is a play on words, the second use of righteousness, and should be understood as reward. You actually might have a Bible that translates it prosperity. In other words, working in conformity with God brings its own benefit. More of what God calls good and right. More of the rich blessings enjoyed by the diligent worker in Proverbs. More thriving and less splinters from going against the grain of the universe. Less head-on collisions from keeping trying to go the wrong way on God's one-way streets. Then we find honor. This word literally means weight or weightiness. A person who is respected by others speaks and his words have weight, have influence, are recognized when we understand honor in this way, we should do all we can to find the recognition that God freely gives to those who pursue his way 
of living and acting. If we spend our days trying to get honor from other people, we're wasting our time. That honor ends with this earthly life. We should intensely desire the honor that comes from the eternal one. Our generous God loves to give blessings, to give honor, to say, well done, good and faithful servant, to those who love and obey his word. Now for our second point, Proverbs 21, 21 displayed, please turn with me to the book of Ruth. I'm gonna summarize much of this short story, but if you have Ruth open, we can look together at specific verses that put Proverbs 21, 21 on display. If you did not hear someone use the phrase this last week, you do you, you probably will this week. You might even say it without giving it much thought. But we should ask ourselves a question. Does all of this you do youing? does all of this chasing after what makes each individual happy really make people happy? Look at the news, wars, riots, mass shootings, constant online fighting. Imagine if we all said, let's just do what the creator wants. Well, we're not the first generation to encourage you do you. During the time of this story, the time of the judges, we're told that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was also a time of radical self-expression. And guess what? People were generally miserable. However, we also get a powerful example of one kind woman and one kind man still pursuing righteousness according to God's standards. This beautiful example also follows a very clear, beautiful structure that good writers use to tell an effective story. So the author of Ruth starts this narrative, like any good narrative, with an exposition, an introduction. The exposition of a story helps establish the tone, give the setting, introduce the characters. And right away, we learn that on top of the misery of selfishness, there was a famine in Israel, no food, typically a sign that God's people were experiencing the consequences of not following his ordering of the universe. Because of this famine, a man from Bethlehem packs up his wife, Naomi, and two sons and moves to the country of Moab. The man and sons die, leaving Naomi with two daughters-in-law. One of them is our main character, Ruth. And next comes the inciting moment of our story, the event that says, sets everything in motion. Naomi discovers that despite the Israelites' rebellion, God has given his children food again. Look at Ruth, chapter one, verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. God has acted. He has given food. For much of the story, God works behind the scenes, bringing about his good plans for Ruth, Israel, and the whole world. But here he kicks off the action by visiting his people and giving. Now we come into the rising action of the story or the part of our narrative where the main character faces and typically has to overcome various obstacles. Obstacle number one, Naomi tries to send Ruth back home to her Moabite pagan gods. Verse eight, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. As you've probably noticed, Naomi uses the exact same word that we find in Proverbs 21.21. And despite trying to send these women back home, she does leave them with a prayer that the God of Israel, that Yahweh, will deal with them out of his steadfast love for the needy. Ruth seems only to hear about God's kindness and wants more of it. Instead of returning home, she pledges her loyalty to Naomi and more importantly, to Naomi's God. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Look at Ruth's desire for righteousness. She wants God's ways over her own. She even uses the personal name of God, Yahweh, to make her pledge. But let's not miss the kindness, the loyal love for the needy also displayed here. In the ancient world, livelihoods, futures, blessings, abundance depended on children who could help bring those things to come to pass. But Ruth did not have a child. When you read the story, you see that Naomi is well aware that she's too old to provide a child to potentially give this security. Ruth, however, still pledges her loyalty to this seemingly dead-end street. We come to obstacle two now in the rising action. Once they arrive in Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi have to eat. Ruth gets to work searching the fields for leftover grain. Unlike the sluggard who just wants a few more minutes of sleep, the Bible says that Ruth worked from early morning until the end of the day, except for a short rest. Ruth meets Boaz, a worthy man who owns the field and also happens to be from the same clan as Naomi. Even though Boaz can't trace his Israelite family too far back, his mother being the famous Canaanite Rahab, he is clearly following Israel's God despite living during the time of the judges. Ruth, or um, how do we know? How do I know that Boaz was following God, a righteous man? Well, Boaz follows God's law, even if it reduces his profits. In a time of lawlessness, his kindness makes the law of God look beautiful. Specifically, Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall, not get it, go, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. He also tells Ruth to keep coming back to his field for food because he knows she will be safe there which apparently wasn't a guarantee in other fields during this time. Boaz also talks to God. He prays specifically in verse 12 of chapter two that because of Ruth's kind loyalty to Naomi, that the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And how does Ruth react? Well, she can't believe that he has even noticed a foreigner like herself, and in her words, spoken kindly to her. 
Boaz then goes beyond the letter of the law into the kind spirit of God's law and invites this foreign widow to eat with him and his workers. He then tells his men to pull even more grain for Ruth than just what was left behind. According to one scholar, it was like Ruth leaving Costco with at least a 40-pound bag of dog food to carry home to Naomi. Ruth clearly was not afraid to work hard. When Ruth tells Naomi, I'm not comparing the food to dog food. Uh, You get it. Okay, Uh, that just struck me now. Uh, All right. When Ruth tells Naomi about her day, Naomi notices that she may have found a Proverbs 21, 21 man. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also realizes that Boaz is a close relative, close enough that according to Israelite custom, he could buy her dead husband's land, provide a grandson through Ruth and rescue her from her desperate situation. If he was kind, if Boaz was kind, like Yahweh, in addition to being righteous, this plan may just work. Obstacle three, will Boaz get on board with the plan? At the start of chapter three, Naomi outlines the plan to Ruth. First, Ruth, get dressed for a date. Second, find Boaz in a good mood at the end of a hard day of harvesting and celebrating. Third, notice where he sleeps. Fourth, wake him up by uncovering his feet and wait for him to tell you what to do next. Ruth modifies this plan slightly. Instead of waiting in the middle of the night for Boaz to speak, she speaks first. Chapter three, verse eight. At midnight, the man was startled as happens when you get woken up that way in the night. And he turns over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, a rescuer. It sounds like Ruth maybe remembers Boaz's prayer for God to protect her under his wings. She boldly asked Boaz to answer his own prayer. Look at Boaz's response in chapter three, verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz agrees, cue the music. We have our Hollywood ending, but wait. Obstacle four, a closer relative has the right to buy Naomi's land and marry Ruth. Boaz, being a righteous man, gives this closer relative the right, first right to refuse to redeem both the property and Ruth. This relative rejects the offer, though, since protecting his own estate seems more important than extending kindness to a closer relative. Boaz is now free to marry Ruth, more than free. He has the town's full blessing. Obstacle five in our rising action, can they have children? In other words, will this movie get sequels? Now we come to the climax, the point of highest interest, the point where we're on the edge of our seats. She came to Israel to find food. Will she find something even more satisfying? Let's read what it says in chapter four, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Boaz marries Ruth, ensuring that her kindness to Naomi is rewarded beyond all imagination. Ruth found much more than food in Israel. She pursued righteousness and kindness and found a man who pursued righteousness and kindness. And it leads to their flourishing in a time not known for flourishing. Notice verse 13, just like our inciting moment that kicked the story off where God gives food, he once again gives. And it is so much more than food. He gives life, a son, a hope for their future. And now we come to the falling action of the story, the moments where the details all come together, where we get an explanation of the outcome. And what we find is that God has even better plans and rewards than Naomi, Ruth, Boaz can even guess. In this story, Ruth works hard, Boaz works hard, and God ultimately works in and through these two people who go hard after righteousness and kindness. Ruth doesn't just find life, righteousness, and honor. God uses Ruth to bring the opportunity for all of us to find true life, righteousness, and honor. Remember our main verse, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. The kind, righteous God follower, Ruth, marries the kind, righteous God follower, Boaz, and our kind, righteous God provides more life, righteousness, and honor than we could ever imagine. He didn't just give them a son, any son. He gave Ruth and Boaz King David's grandfather, and through this same family, we would get the author of Proverbs 21, 21, Solomon. And more importantly, we would get Proverbs 21, 21 perfected, Ruth's greatest grandson, King Jesus. And this brings me to my third point, Proverbs 21, 21 perfected. As wonderful as Boaz and Ruth display this pursuit of righteousness and kindness, we have an even greater example to follow. We have a perfect example example. Jesus lived in perfect alignment with all of his father's commands, the letter and the spirit of the law. He was perfectly righteous and perfectly kind. And I want everyone to stop and think of the first examples of Christ's righteousness and kindness that pop into your heads. When you think of being Jesus being kind, what do you think of? What stories? When you think of Jesus being righteous, what stories do you think of? I bet I can guess some of them. Not because I have a supernatural ability to read your minds, you're probably thankful for that, but because I have recently asked a lot of people this same question. Here are some of the responses I've heard. Righteousness. Jesus cleans out the temple. He makes the whip and flips over tables because people were disobeying his father's commands and trying to make a profit where they should have been praying. Kindness. Jesus cleans out the temple so that the one place that Gentiles and foreigners were allowed to pray and encounter God's presence was not blocked by business. 
righteousness. Jesus meets a woman at the well in John 4. He does not shy away from telling her that her relationships do not match with God's right ordering of the universe. Kindness. Jesus meets a woman at a well and points out her sin and need for a savior in such a kind way that she wants to tell all of her friends about him. Righteousness. Jesus meets children and has to rebuke his disciples for forgetting that these little image bearers point to the faith that grows God's kingdom. Kindness. Jesus meets children and they want to get as close to him as possible. Kindness. The Pharisees tell Jesus at the end of Luke 13 that Herod wants to kill him. Instead of running and hiding, Jesus' impulse is to protect others. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You hear the echo of Boaz's prayer? The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Our kind God, he loves to offer protection to outsiders. And there are many more. He touches lepers when he clearly heals them with his mouth. He washes the disciples' feet, Judas's feet, a traitor that he let follow him around for three years and never struck him dead. He obeys his parents. Now, how are you in the kindness department when you are tired, when you are weak, when you are hungry, when you would rather be doing something else? In our final example, Jesus is at his weakest. The night before, he had asked his father if there was any other way to accomplish our rescue from sin. Now he's hanging on the cross, perfectly surrendered to his father's will. He's beaten, stripped, mocked, and hung without food or water. At this moment of perfect righteousness, look how he also perfectly demonstrates kindness. John 19, 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. He then dies for us but his relentless pursuit of righteousness and kindness did not end there. Three days later, God raises him from the grave, showing the world that Jesus was perfectly right, perfectly righteous. And 2,000 years later, he's still kindly interceding and advocating, praying for his children when we sin. What a great and kind Savior. If you've never trusted him as your only savior from sin, your pursuit of righteousness and kindness starts there. Throw yourself completely on the perfectly righteous and perfectly kind one. For those of you who have trusted him as your only savior, let me end by applying Proverbs 21, 21. Fourth point, Proverbs 21, 21 applied. 
I only have two points of application. First, embrace your union with Christ and pursue righteousness and kindness with the strength that he gives. Embrace your union with Christ and pursue righteousness and kindness with the strength that he gives. We understand that certain jobs require certain clothes. Nurses wear scrubs, bankers wear ties, occasional preachers wear ties, athletes wear jerseys, construction workers wear helmets and steel-toed boots. Our work also requires the right clothes. We're told in Romans 13, 14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, as one writer put it, you are what you wear. What an incredible privilege Christians get to enter any kind of work situation clothed and united to the perfectly righteous and kind one. Whether you own the restaurant or you clean its bathrooms, the clothes for success are the same. Proverbs 13:4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Well, that's impossible for the one who chases after Jesus. You get Jesus, and he came to give abundant life. Or as the rest of that verse says, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You find life, righteousness, honor, Jesus. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. When you relentlessly pursue righteousness and kindness, you will be so busy helping others navigate the thorns, you may just miss how prickly they are. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule. If your diligence results in leading others, righteousness will ensure that you seek to do so in a way that pleases God. And kindness will ensure that you seek to bless others through that task. Proverbs 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game. You will have days when you have worked so hard that making dinner for the rest of your family feels impossible. Or maybe you feel too tired to help clean that kitchen after enjoying your wife or your mom's hard work. Put on Jesus and seek to bless others. Proverbs 22:13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. Would the righteous make excuses or lie at work? Would the kind want to see others bear more burdens for their laziness? Put on the one who never lied and accomplished his father's every task, including your salvation. Do you feel stuck in a job you do not love? Do it for the glory of God. While you might rightfully look for another job, do that current job with all of your strength, all of your might. Seek to bless others. Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Our world desperately needs to see an army of workers pursuing righteousness and kindness. I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture loves to promote kindness. Be kind, be kind, kind, kind. But a kindness that has no care for pleasing God. You may devote yourself to doing what is right and see no room or time for doing it kindly. 
Remember, Jesus has been kind to us. And because he lived righteously before God, we can live righteously before God. Our coworkers, friends, neighbors, enemies need to encounter this same Savior for any hope in this life and the next. Lastly, remember that whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor, guaranteed. But it may not be all you imagine on this earth. You may obey all that the Proverbs says about diligence and still end up poor in this life. Like many before you, you may look around and see the wicked prospering. If that is your experience, remind yourself that a Christian's abundant life, prosperity, and honor ultimately come, and in their fullest sense, from being united to Jesus, a union that death cannot stop. Jesus already sits at the right hand of God, at the place of true honor. And for reasons we cannot comprehend, we share in this. We share in our big brother's inheritance that we do not deserve. Just like in the story of Ruth, God is always working out a bigger story. You may work for a famous company downtown, or you may clean a toilet in a nameless suburb. If you do it completely abandoned to the king of the universe, you will be doing it according to his story. You may have to wait until heaven to see exactly how big or how small your part in that story was. But one thing I can promise you is that if you do it and go hard after obeying the king, it will be worth it to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let this verse pursue righteousness and kindness and you will find life, righteousness and honor. Be a light to all of our work, a North Star to guide us through whatever challenging tasks we face in this life. Let it define the character of our work. How? Pursue righteousness and kindness. Go hard after Jesus with every bit of strength and diligence that he provides. And to what end? And the Lord who calls you to this, the King who calls you to this, will reward you far beyond what you deserve or could expect with his very own life, righteousness, and honor. Please join us in singing, Give Me Jesus as a prayer. Let this be our prayer.